Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s? Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Gold. And we're the hosts of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field. And we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. We all love eating tasty food, and what's even better than that is when it's completely free. That's exactly what HelloFresh is giving away to you guys today. Free appetizers for the rest of your life. If you don't know, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. I've been a long-time subscriber because not only do they make meal planning as simple as possible and essentially remove any trips I need to take to the grocery store, but they have the biggest menu out there with over 50 recipes to choose from, Every single week. I mean, it's summertime. We all want to spend more time relaxing in the sun and less time in the kitchen. Using HelloFresh, and they let you get back to enjoying pool and beach time with just a few clicks on your computer. Just choose your meals, select a delivery date, and HelloFresh delivers everything right to your door. And like I said, when you sign up today, you'll unlock free appetizers for life. Go to HelloFresh.com slash AndrewApps for free appetizers for life. One appetizer item per box while subscription is active. That's free appetizers for life at HelloFresh.com slash Andrew Apps. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona. Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. With all the pumpkin lattes and Halloween decorations hitting the shelves at CBS, I just couldn't fight it anymore, guys. As true crime fans, we all love this time of year, and so I wanted to get out in front of it and hit you up with some scary stories appropriate for the leaves changing colors. Welcome guys to this Patreon-only patrons episode. Whether you're watching or listening, I want to thank you for tuning in and the support. Here are five cruel stories from Halloween. Number five, The Haunting Tale of Yoshihiro Hattori. On a crisp October night in 1992, the streets of Baton Rouge came alive with trick-or-treaters, masked revelers, and houses decked out in black and orange. Yoshihiro Hattori, an intelligent and friendly 16-year-old Japanese exchange student, eagerly made his way to what he believed was a Halloween party. And dressed in a white suit emulating John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever, Hattori was looking forward to a fun evening, but fate had other plans. Knocking on the door of a house he believed to be where the party was at, Hattori and his companion, Webb Haymaker, were met with trepidation by the owner's wife. 
Realizing they were at the wrong address, the duo innocently began to walk away. That's when 30-year-old Rodney Pierce emerged, gun in hand. Misunderstanding Pierce's command to freeze, a Tory then stepped forward. Moments later, a gunshot rang out. The bullet from Pierce's 44 Magnum, a weapon powerful enough to take down a lion, pierced a Tory's chest, and tragically, he did not survive the trip to the hospital. This heartbreaking tale might have remained a local story, but for the fact that Hattori was a foreigner in America. The news rippled through Japan, a nation unaccustomed to any sort of gun violence. The shooting of a young student under such senseless circumstances was incomprehensible. The international media spotlight turned to the U.S., probing deeper into its gun culture, which previously had been associated primarily with gang violence and crime. Hattori's parents, Masachi and Miko, channeled their grief into activism. They advocated for stricter gun control measures in the U.S., gaining support from then-President Bill Clinton and using their legal settlement to form the Yoshi Coalition. But the tragic story of Hattori is not unique. Decades later, similar tales of mistaken addresses and fatal misunderstandings have emerged. For example, Ralph Yarl, 16-year-old in Kansas City, and 20-year-old Kaylin Gillis in New York both faced gunfire for innocent mistakes reminiscent of a Tory's last moments. While the circumstances were eerily similar, the international impact of a Tory's death was unparalleled due to his foreign citizenship. As the world looked on, many nations took a stand against gun violence in the wake of other tragedies. Britain and Australia both made significant changes to their gun control laws. It's been over 30 years now since Atori's death. His legacy remains both a beacon of hope and a somber reminder. While his parents have retired from active advocacy, they have entrusted the next generation with the responsibility to make a change. Number 4. Halloween Horror, The Lisk Family Tragedy On Halloween of 2010, what was supposed to be a festive and joyful occasion in Oak Harbor, Ohio, took a dark turn that no one saw coming. 16-year-old Devin Griffin was a typical teenager enjoying a weekend spent out with his father and playing video games. But that Sunday, when he returned home after his church concert, he stumbled upon an extremely gruesome scene. Inside their bedroom, the lifeless bodies of his mother and stepfather, Susan and Bill Lisk, lay, victims of what he first thought was a twisted prank. But reality quickly set in. An inspection revealed a grim reality. Bill had been shot four or five times and Susan took three bullets, one of which was a defensive wound to the hand. Upstairs, there was more carnage. The discovery of his older brother, 23-year-old Derek, with blunt trauma wounds to his head, compounded the nightmare. Mark Mulligan, the prosecutor of Ottawa County, was no stranger to crime scenes, yet he remarked, This was the most disturbing murder scene I'd seen over the course of my career. The initial probe into the previous day's events revealed an ordinary evening. Bill, 
with his 24-year-old son, William, or BJ, and enjoyed a day of hunting, followed by a pleasant evening with a neighbor that extended until midnight. But as daylight broke on that ill-fated Halloween morning, Derek's absence alarmed Susan's sister-in-law, Lori Morse. With unanswered calls creating an unsettling feeling, she reached out to Devin, unwittingly directing him to the horror awaiting him at home. The following hours were a blur. Devin's terrified call to Lori, Lori's frantic 911 call, and investigators pouring into the Lisk residence. The details were grim. Although Bill and Susan had been shot multiple times, the absence of shell casings suggested a premeditated attack. Out of that idea was that Derek had been killed with a hammer, so two different weapons were used, which typically isn't the case unless this had been planned. But who would be cold-blooded enough to execute it? Well, the community was rife with speculations, ranging from a random act of violence to cult activities spurred on by Halloween. Detectives diligently worked to piece together the narrative. A muddy footprint on the family's dock hinted at a potential disposal of the murder weapon, leading them to drain the pond next to the home, but nothing was there. Devin's statement about seeing BJ on the morning of the murders coupled with tales of a strained relationship between BJ and his stepmother, Susan, led the police to zero in on BJ. The animosity between the stepmother and stepson wasn't a secret. Tales of their physical altercations were known throughout their close circles. BJ's temperamental disposition and his history of violence, especially when influenced by alcohol, were no secrets either. It was the family's hunting cabin in Carroll County gave the investigators their big break. The white truck there had incriminating evidence of blood and a rifle. Back at the Lisk home, bloody hammer further pieced together the horrifying jigsaw of the murders. With all the evidence mounting against him, BJ's cryptic conversation with his biological mother from jail painted the final stroke in this horrifying canvas. Detective George Bington recalled BJ's chilling words, I wasn't in my right mind, Mom. I can't talk about this anymore. In pleading guilty, BJ was handed down three life sentences without parole. As Oak Harbor moved on, Halloween would never be the same again, forever marred by the real-life horrors of the Lisk family tragedy. In 2015, burdened by what he had done and life behind bars, BJ ended it all. Number three, the Napa Valley Nightmare. On November 1st of 2004, as the festivities of Halloween night had just settled, a dark and horrifying tale was about to unfold in the tranquil and picturesque region of Napa Valley, California. On that evening, Adrian and Sagna and Leslie Ann Mazzara Two vibrant 26-year-olds were brutally murdered in their Dorset Street home, which they share with their housemate, Lauren Minza. The story became all the more unnerving when the killer was revealed, and no one could have fathomed that the culprit would be Eric Koppel, a man closely intertwined with their lives. 26-year-old Eric seemed like an average individual. He had no prior criminal records and was known to many as the fiancé of Lily Prudhomme 
a close colleague and friend of Adrian. Although battling with depression and relying heavily on alcohol to self-medicate, nobody expected him to be as dark as he truly was. On Halloween night, his children, dressed in costumes, knocked at their door. Leslie, Adrian, and Lauren handed out candy, enjoying the evening in. But within a few hours, terror would rip through their home. Around 2 a.m., Lauren, by the downstairs bedroom, woke up from a noise. She got up, and once out of the bedroom, she heard a terrified scream coming from upstairs. The heavy steps raced down the stairs in her direction, and so she bolted out of the house. There, she heard the perpetrator climb out of the basement window, which he had used to enter the house and dart off, at which point she then bravely went inside. Up the stairs, she could hear her friend, Adrian, wailing in pain. Once inside the room, she saw Leslie was lying face down in a pool of blood. Adrian was hiding behind her bed, bleeding significantly from multiple stab wounds. And she would go on to pass away shortly after paramedics arrived. At this point, no one knew who the perpetrator was. Despite the meticulous efforts of law enforcement, answers were hard to come by. Hundreds of DNA samples were collected. Over a thousand interviews conducted, but community's unease grew as the days passed without a clear suspect. It was a discarded cigarette butt that finally led to a breakthrough, though. The unusual brand, Camel Turkish Gold, became the focal point of the investigation. And putting that info out to the public a few days later, Eric Koppel, who was married to Lily by this time, turned himself in. The realization that their friend's husband was the murderer left everyone in shock. While the motive still remains a mystery, jealousy is believed to be a driving factor, an emotion so potent it drove a man to commit the unimaginable. He expressed remorse for his crimes in the courtroom, saying, I'm a broken man. I cannot fathom an explanation for my sinful deeds. The terrible agony inflicted upon a great number of people, words evade me. And he will now spend the rest of his life behind bars. Number two, the sinister secrets of a small town. On Halloween night in 2011, the farming town of Armstrong in British Columbia, Canada, bore witness to a horrifying event. The tragedy that unfolded that night cast a grim shadow over what is usually a joyous and spooky celebration, reminding the world of the very real monsters that walk among us. It was October 31st when 18-year-old Taylor Van Deest, full of the spirit of Halloween, dressed up as a zombie, stepped out for the evening. Intent on meeting her friends for a night out, Taylor's path led her alongside the town's old railway tracks. And it was this seemingly innocent route which would turn this Halloween into a real-life nightmare. As many of us have felt while walking alone in a secluded area, a chilling unease overcame her. And what would be her final communication to the outside world, Taylor sent a text to a friend saying she was being creeped. Not long after, Taylor would be brutally attacked, clubbed over the head, strangled, and left fighting for her life. 
Three hours later, when she was found, it was too late, though. She was clinging to life, but back at the hospital, they did what they could, but to no avail. Taylor Van Dee's promising life was cut short, adding her name to the sad list of real victims on Halloween night. Her autopsy showed six separate injuries to her head, which fractured her skull. As the town of Armstrong grappled with Taylor's death, investigators were working tirelessly. Although the night shadows tried to conceal the perpetrator, the brave teenager had left behind a clue. The very DNA of her attacker scraped from underneath her fingernails in a desperate struggle for survival. This crucial evidence would eventually lead the authorities to 26-year-old Matthew Forster, who was known as a drifter. He was arrested in April of 2012, and he was hiding out in a dingy motel in Ontario. When the court hearings began in 2014, it was revealed that Forster had tracked Taylor with the intent of a sinister sexual encounter. When Taylor resisted, that's when he got physical to the point of killing her. The defense tried to paint a different picture, arguing that it was all an accident. And when she resisted, he pushed her, causing her to hit her head on the tracks, but of course, that didn't hold any weight. Forster was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to a minimum of 25 years. Additionally, Stephen Forster, Matthew's father, became an accessory to the heinous crime by aiding his son in his attempt to evade the police, an act which led him to receive a three-year sentence as well. Number 1. Dark Secrets The Adrian Reynolds Murder In East Moline, Illinois, in the midst of this unsuspecting backdrop, Black Hawk College Outreach Center would soon find itself forever marked by the dark events that unfolded in January of 2005. Adrian Reynolds, a hopeful young girl from Kilgore, Texas, had only recently relocated to East Moline, seeking a fresh start. At just 16, she was living with her adoptive parents, Tony and Joanne Reynolds, and was determined to create a new path for herself. And her aim? Turn her GED and enlist in the Marines to serve and protect. As she started attending the outreach center on a more regular basis, she became acquainted with two people there, Sarah Cold and Corey Gregory. Sarah was known to be popular at the center. She hailed from Milan, Illinois, living with her mother and stepfather. Contrarily, Corey was coming from Moline High School and was in the midst of a transition, both in her school and personal life. Once a big juggalo, she was navigating her identity as a transgender woman and had adopted the name Harley Quinn. Their triangle of friendship grew, each of them looking to make a change, but that can be harder to come by than some might think. In January of 2005, things between the trio took a dark turn. Sarah found herself on the outskirts when Adrian made advances towards Corey, and this enraged her with jealousy. The tension reached a boiling point on January 21st when the three decided to grab lunch at the local Taco Bell. The day that was supposed to be a casual outing quickly spiraled into a nightmare. As the group parked their car, an altercation broke out between Sarah and Adrian. 
Sarah's aggression reached insane levels. She proceeded to strangle the girl with her belt, aided by Corey who pinned the victim down. This all took place in broad daylight in the parking lot where people were just grabbing their lunch. But here's where things get really sinister. The duo transported Adrian's body to a farm owned by Sarah's grandparents in Aledo. Desperate to erase evidence, they attempted to burn it, but they could never get the fire hot enough, which led them to involve another teenager. Nathan got it. With his aid, they were able to dismember Adrian. They used Nathan's grandfather's handsaw to remove the head and arms. They then coldly stopped for a meal at McDonald's before discarding the remains which were in black plastic bags, in the woods at the Black Hawk State Historic Site. It didn't take long, though, for this tragedy to come to light. Adrian's parents reported her missing when she didn't show up for work. Corey, consumed with guilt or fear, led the authorities to her remains on January 26th. The subsequent trials were a media frenzy. Sarah and Corey faced charges of first-degree murder and concealment of a homicide. Sarah's first trial, which started on Halloween of 2005, resulted in a hung jury, but she was later convicted and sentenced to 53 years in prison. Corey, on the other hand, pleaded guilty and was handed a 45-year sentence. And Nathan, the boy involved in the dismemberment, received a juvenile sentence of five years and was released in 2008. And he would go on to lose his life in a car crash in 2012. So there you go, guys. Five cruel stories from Halloween. Hopefully, that helps get you in the spirit a little bit. As always, I wish you the best out there. Hope you have fun trick-or-treating with your children. Maybe you still go out trick-or-treating. Who knows? Enjoy, guys. Thanks for the support. I'll see you soon.